clean. It is not to be eaten. You're not to eat any creature that moves along the ground, whether it moves on its belly or walks on all fours or on many feet. It is unclean. Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves about in the water and every creature that moves along the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter, for two weeks the woman will be unclean, as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering or purification offering, as it's got in the notes below. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for a woman who gives birth to a boy or girl, but if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin or purification offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Thanks, Martin. Good morning, everyone. Um, One writer I was reading this week said, um, Leviticus reads like a guidebook to a foreign land. And the sections that deal with questions about purity introduce us to the strangest area within its boundaries. That's a very poetic way of saying the section that we've got here is weird and difficult. For five chapters from 11 to 15, we get detailed instructions about what foods may or may not be eaten, what to do when a woman gives birth, what to do about infectious uh, skin diseases or when your house has mildew, and finally, what to do when men and women experience various discharges from their bodies. So over the years, many have said that, that these chapters, this section of our Bible, might possibly be the least attractive. Um, often seen as, at best, meaningless uh, or repulsive, even, at worst. Um, At our staff meeting earlier this week, Sam um, smiled at me 
and, and said, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so, um, thanks, Sam. Um, up on the screen, there's a, a quote from uh, Rachel Jones, who, who wrote um, uh, this, this brilliant book. I'm kind of halfway through it, and it's great. I, I, I heartily recommend it to you. But uh, let me read out what's, what she, she says in a chapter looking at um, chapter 15, actually, of Leviticus. Um, what's your in, in, initial internal reaction to reading that? Confused? Outraged? Ashamed? Here's mine. Really, God? Unclean for one week in four, or possibly more, for something that is entirely natural and healthy. Why? What's your problem with periods? Do you just hate women? So where do I go from there? How do I navigate the tension between my instinctive reaction on the one hand and on the other, my belief that God is good and that the Bible is his word and that he loves me as his daughter? What's a woman to do with a passage like Leviticus 15? It's a great question, isn't it? How do we, how do I, how do you navigate the tension between our initial instinctive reactions to, to passages like this, on the one hand, and our trust in God's goodness and in the goodness of his word? It's a, it's a really important question for us. So how, how do we respond to it? Well, here's um, three possible options. Number one, we could just ignore it. It's all a bit weird, so why don't we just not read those bits and, and not worry about it? That's, that's one option. Probably a lot of people take that one. Uh, number two, we could just shrug our shoulders and say, well, it doesn't apply to us anymore, so we don't really have to think about it that hard anymore. There's another option. Number three, we could resign ourselves to put up with it. Uh, we don't like it, but it's God's word, so we just have to lump it. So there's some options for how we might deal with, with those sorts of things. Well, we've, we've read them now, so we can't ignore them. <laughs> and whilst it's true up to a point that these laws don't apply to us today, as they once did for, his, for, for God's people, um, we, we see that in, in Mark 7, when... Um, Jesus declares all, all foods clean, and in, in Acts 10 as well. So they don't, necess- they don't apply to us in the same way that they once did, but nevertheless, these laws still do reveal to us something of God's character, something of his priorities. And we can't just say, well, that was what God was like in the Old Testament. I'm so glad he's not like that now. Because our God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And at Grace Church, we hold that God's word is not only true, but it is good. And it's something in which we can delight in and, and trust. And sometimes it takes hard work to get to that point of being able to delight and, and trust in God's word. But if we... If we come before God and ask for his help humbly, he answers those prayers. That's what I've found in my experience. I'm sure for many of you that's true as well. So let's pray and ask 
our, our Father to, for his grace as we look at this section. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the pages of the book that we hold before us. And we pray this morning that you would show us your goodness, show us your grace, show us the Lord Jesus this morning. Help us to understand things that are hard for us to get our heads round. Please, by your spirit, would you, would you be at work for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we uh, get into to looking at some of the specifics of, of the chapter, we, we need to ask ourselves, clean and unclean, what, what do these terms really mean? And actually, there's a couple of common misconceptions about the ideas of being clean or unclean that, that we need to think about, first of all, as well. The first misconception is that clean or unclean is all just about hygiene. And the second misconception is that unclean equals sinful. Sometimes a direct result of of a willful sin is that we are unclean. Example of adultery. Other times we're, we're unclean as a result of living in a broken and cursed world following the fall. In, in Genesis 3. So, so things like perhaps skin diseases or, or, or periods would, would fall under that category. They're not sinful, but they're just a product of living in a broken and cursed world. So rather than in thinking in terms of um, hygiene and of uh, moral failure and sin, it's better to think in terms of these three categories up on the screen in my diagram there, these three states. Um, holy, where's holy? Holy, <laughs> common or clean, and, and unclean. So as we've seen so far in, in Leviticus, God is holy. He is, uh, he is holy. <laughs> There is nothing or no one that compares to him. He is pure. He is perfection. And the opposite of holy is, is not sinful, but, but rather common or, or clean. God is holy. The opposite of holy is, is common or clean. And things that are common or clean can be made unclean. And things that are unclean can be made clean again via sacrifices, as, as we've seen in Leviticus so far. And things that are clean can also be sanctified in order to be made holy. So think of the priests last week as with the, the kind of ceremonies that, that, uh, that they went to to be made holy, to be set apart. And it works the other way around as well. Holy things can be profaned by sin and clean things can become polluted to become unclean. So why is this an issue, that uncleanness and, and sin? Well, in um, Exodus 33, verse 3, the Lord says this. This is just after Moses has been up on the mountain getting the, the Ten Commandments and the people couldn't wait for him to come back. So they thought, to them, what should we do? Why don't we get all our gold, make a gold statue and start worshipping that? That seemed a, a good idea to them. And, and the Lord says, says this in chapter 33, 
Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I I might destroy you on the way. God is holy, set apart, pure, perfect. And it's not like he's just sort of 27% holy, as if if there's a sort of pie chart of God's attributes. 27% holy, 34% love, 15% justice. He is infinite. His holiness is infinite. His love is infinite. His justice, as we were praying earlier, is is infinite. And it's not like God is just a, a better version of us. He is utterly different and set apart, and that is very good news for us. Sam talked about how the Bible sometimes talks of, in, of, of holiness in terms of light and darkness. And the reality that you simply cannot have both together at the same time. God is infinite in his holiness. He is pure. He is perfection. And he can't ignore sin and impurity. It can't come, come into his presence and, and be near him. So here's the problem for God. How can a holy God dwell with a sinful, unclean people and not destroy them? Well, Leviticus uh, chapter 15, 31 puts it like this. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so that they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. So the sacrificial system, these purity regulations provide the way for his people to have their sins forgiven and to be made clean. But this is so vital for us to grasp. He's not just wanting to make life unnecessarily hard just for the sake of it, just just for kicks. Rather, he wants to be in relationship with his people. He wants to dwell with his people. And this is the way the only way that he can do that at this time. So that's what's motivating this book of of Leviticus. It's his goodness and his grace that he wants to dwell with his unholy, uh, sinful people. So he provides the means for them to be cleansed and to be forgiven. And when we see it like that, when we see the extraordinary lengths that he goes to, to make it possible for his people to dwell with him. Well, we see his goodness. We see see his grace, don't we? Well, this morning we're going to do a whistle-stop tour through these chapters, summarising what's said in each chapter, and then think together, what does this mean for us? How does this point us to the Lord Jesus? So that's where we're heading this morning. So chapter 11 Uh, Clean and unclean foods and animals. So the chapter you can split between uh, verses 1 to 23, which deal with animals which may or may not be eaten as food, and 24 to 25, uncleanness caused by contact with with certain animals. And actually it's, it's tricky to know what the rationale is behind the categories and decisions that get detailed in, in chapter 11. And actually there's, a, there's an awful lot of speculation as to what that rationale is. Which tends to sort of miss the wood for the trees. 
if you, if you see what I mean. It, it doesn't really get to the point of, of what's going on in these chapters. Because in chapter 11, we're not explicitly told why we're to just eat animals that chew the cud, say yes to those and no to those that wallow in the mud. But what we do see as we scan through the chapter is, is we see um, three primary classifications. Land, water and air. And then the, the forms of movement that are natural to, to each of those classifications. And so kind of thinking about those classifications, it, it, it links us back to creation, to Genesis. And as you go through chapter 11, it seems the preference is for, for what is seen as normal in those categories. That's what's to be eaten. Anything that seems to be blurring the boundaries of those sorts of things is, is not to be eaten. But again, as the passage uh, goes on, it, it doesn't spell out the precise reason why, why some and, and not others. What it does say for the reasons is, is there in uh, verses 44 to 47 of chapter 11. Uh, it's up on the screen or, or a flick in, in your Bibles. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. He wants them to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. To be holy because I am holy. That's the rationale that we're given here as to, to why they're to eat certain different things and, and not eat others. So these distinct food laws are there to, to symbolise their distinctiveness as the people of God. So every mealtime, their choice of food would remind them that they'd been chosen and redeemed out of slavery by the Lord and, and called to be his people, set apart from the rest of the world. Now in, uh, in Mark 7, Jesus shows that, that these food laws don't a- apply in the same way as, as, they one did, as, as they once did. Jesus says that um, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that def- defiles them. So Jesus is saying it's not what goes into your stomach that makes you unclean, but rather what comes out of your heart that makes you um, unclean. Saying actually the food laws don't count in the same way we don't have um, too much time to to go into the ins and outs of that as well but um, have a look up uh, Acts chapter 10 as well that seminal moment where there's no divisions no uh, between Jew and Gentile non-Jew anymore the gospel is is for everyone and so the distinctive food laws that showed the distinctiveness of of God's people well, there's not needed to show that separateness in the, in the same way anymore. So chapter 11, unclean and clean foods, um, symbols of their distinctiveness as, as God's people. Chapter 12, uncleanness due to childbirth. 
uh, moving on. So if, if chapter 11 and uncleanness caused, is, is about um, uncleanness caused by external factors, what you eat or come into contact with, chapter 12 and chapter 15 as well, about uncleanness caused by natural functions of the human body. And this is where it's important to, to stress again that uncleanness doesn't always imply moral sinfulness. Every sin makes you unclean, but there's nothing morally sinful about childbirth or, or, or periods. Actually, in Genesis 1, God's command to Adam and Eve is to have children. It's a good thing. And we've made connections already with kind of creation and Genesis. What happens next in the, in the creation story in Genesis the fall. Adam and Eve rebel against God. Sin enters the world and, and with it death and curses come. Creation itself, humanity, is broken and marred. And so childbirth is marred and is difficult and, and painful. It becomes richly unclean, not because it's sinful not because of specific moral failure, but because it's tainted by being part of the broken world in which we now live in. Chapter 13 and 14. Uh, uncleanness due to infections, that's skin diseases and houses. Now over the weeks we've been looking at Leviticus, I've had conversations with people saying how they really don't envy the workload that the priests had at that time. These guys are going to be expert butchers with all the sacrifices that they're continually doing. Not only that, we see in these chapters, they've got to be public health inspectors as well. Diagnosing skin diseases, diagnosing infections in fabrics and in houses as well. They needed to be able to correctly identify how serious the infections are and prescribe what needs to be done. Is it chronic? Is it skin deep? Are there discoloured hairs? That's the level of detail these guys are expected in, in their job. And it's striking that the cleansing rituals for the skin diseases, for the houses, um, are, are lengthy, are significant, and are public as well. Which would have provided assurances to, to the sufferer that uh, all will be well now they've gone through this, this lengthy, significant public um, cleansing ritual. But at the same time, because it's public, it would demonstrate to everyone else in the community that they are now clean, that they are now able to reintegrate back into the community and, and join back in worship again. So that's uncleanness due to infections. And finally, chapter 15, uncleanness due to bodily discharges. We get the, the regulations for male and female discharges. And actually, these verses have been wrongly used to oppress women over history. And uh, they've been wrongly regarded as oppressing women at, at the same time. But just from the structure of the chapter... 
there is um, equal time and space given to, to, to men and to, to women. So the flow of the chapter starts with um, chronic male discharges, then short-term male discharges, then short-term female discharges and chronic female discharges. And as you look into what is required to make clean in, in all of these uh, things, there's, there's no sacrifices required, just washing and time. And again, as with chapter 12, what's, what's in view here is not sinful moral failure, but the natural consequences of being part of a fallen and broken world. There's much more I could say on, on those, uh, specifically on chapter 15. Um, but um, let me just commend to you Rachel's book again. Uh, this is Carl's, but um, if you wanted to borrow it, I'm sure you could ask him and he could <laughs> happily oblige. Um, um, so what are we to make of all of this? Well, there's two things that, that strike you as you kind of look at the whole sweep of these chapters. The first is that holiness is woven into every aspect of life. Holiness is woven into every aspect of life. Perhaps we tend to think of holiness as some kind of weird, abstract, ethereal concept. But here, it has to do with the nitty-gritty realities of everyday life. Holiness is, is woven into every aspect of life for God's people. Tangible, physical reminders every mealtime and in all aspects of life that, that they are God's chosen people. They're redeemed by him and they are called to be separate, holy, distinctive. And so before we move on to thinking about how, uh, how we, this points us to Jesus, it's right for us to, to ask ourselves... Well, is, is holiness woven into every aspect of our lives, I wonder? How distinctive as the people of God are, are we at the school gate or in exams at the moment, at, at work, on the street, on, on, with our families? What would, what would our children say are our priorities as they look at how we spend our money, our time, and what we do as a family. Is holiness woven into every aspect of our lives in this same way? It's challenging, isn't it? Well, I wonder, this week, how could, how could we make mealtimes to be a space and a time where we can tangibly remind ourselves we've been redeemed by God and are called to be distinct as his people. What could we do this week? So firstly, shows us how holiness is woven into every aspect of life. Secondly, the overwhelming thing for me as I'm looking at this chapter is that we need a cure. We need a cure. Throughout these chapters, all the regulations set out here, all they can do is, is stipulate what needs to be done for someone in order for them to re-enter the community and come back to worship again until they are made unclean again and the cycle continues. And chapter 15, it's particularly stark. The regulations are powerless 
to fix chronic bleeding. They are not a cure. And for the person suffering in that way, that would have been a policy of despair. We need a cure. Well, could you turn in your Bibles with me to to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. It's up on the screen there as well. This is one of my favourite bits of the Bible. Um, Are you allowed to have favourite bits? Yeah, Ed's nodding. Yeah. Yeah, let me read from verses 25 to 34. This is um, part of a remarkable day of Jesus' life. Have a look at the rest of the chapter as well later on. Uh, Mark 5.25 And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, "and, and, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So think of this poor woman after what we've just been thinking about in Leviticus. She would have been unclean. With the persistent bleeding, she would have been persistently unclean. She would have been not permitted to worship in the temple. She would have not been permitted to even embrace anybody. She would have been an outcast, lest anyone else would be made unclean by coming in contact with her. Maybe she would have articulated the same questions as, uh, as Rachel Jones. Um, how does Jesus respond? Well, it's incredible, isn't it? A tender compassion and gentleness. He calls her daughter. In fact, that's the... The only time in in all the Gospels when Jesus uses that that word daughter is for this woman. He stops the bleeding immediately. He, He cleanses her. He makes her whole. He restores her publicly. Do you see how he upholds the law and the regulations and makes it obsolete at the same time? He doesn't dumb down the requirements of holiness and lower the barrier. He fulfills it. He brings about the cure that the regulations couldn't deliver. He did what the law was powerless to do. He makes clean. He makes whole. He takes away shame. That's what he does. How is he able to do that? Well, because for our sakes, he was made impure. 2 Corinthians 5:21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God 
we can be made clean because he was made impure. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Revelation uh, 21. Let me just pop that up on the screen as well. This is where, this is the day that creation is waiting for. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that good news? That's where we're headed. All because of the Lord Jesus. And uh, all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this amazing good news. We thank you for what these chapters show us of your character and your goodness to us. Of your holiness and how important holiness is. And we pray that you would help us to, to not just have holiness as something just for a Sunday morning. But for every uh, part of our lives, Lord, may we weave holiness into it. And Lord, we want to thank you so much that, that we can only dwell with you. We can only be in relationship with you. We can only be cleansed and forgiven because of the Lord Jesus, who was made impure, who became sin for us, so that we could become righteous. Lord, we thank you for him, and we, we pray you would help us to delight in him, and delight to share him with, uh, with everyone else as well. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.